This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Known and Never podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Bromley, and this is the Analysis Show. We are looking back on the curtain opener of the Premier League season. It was the home defeat against champions and treble winners, Manchester City. We've got general reaction to that defeat. We're also looking at some specific talking points. That red card for Anna Sorori, the first home player to be sent off in uh, the Premier League for the Clarets. We look at the imposter that is Lyle Foster. What has happened to him this season? Who kidnapped Lyle Foster that we saw last year and replaced him with a little wizard that we had on the game on Friday? We look at the left-back scenario. Do we stick with Vitinho? Are we going to be able to get Matson in from Chelsea? Or is it going to be Charlie Taylor or an other? Murich versus Trafford. It surprised us with Trafford starting the game. Should it have been Murich? We debate that. And finally, we tackle the problem with the fan base, we'd look at the issues that's clouded that game against Manchester City and the trouble that it caused. How are Burnley going to rescue their reputation? Let's go. So let's dive right in. We are joined this week by two of our regular panellists, Tom Whitaker. Tom, welcome. Nice to be back. Nice to be talking about some actual football matches as well. Yes, I love it. And of course, regular panellists and all-round good egg, George Poole. George, hello, hello. And friend of the stars, I would add. Yeah, good evening. Um, I know it's a surprise to see me back now. I've been mixing it with Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher, but I did tell them I'm always going to be loyal to the Non-A Never podcast first and foremost. So good to see you guys. Good. I did wonder whether you were going to get more expensive now for the for the podcast, but it's good to see you back. Um, let's dive straight in then. We are talking about the opening fixture of the Premier League season. It was at home tie against Manchester City. Probably the result we were expecting, but actually a performance and some stats that were maybe better than was expected. So let's recap. City, of course, 3-0 winners at Turf Moor. But that doesn't tell the full story. Burnley had 34% possession and six shots. Not too many of them on target, but still six shots nonetheless. Um, we only had 365 passes as opposed to City's 706. And we didn't really have any clear-cut chances, but defensively we did do a little bit better. Um, aerial duels won, we matched City 13 apiece. Um, Tom, let's come to you first. I think it's probably the most enjoyable and optimistic we've ever felt coming off one of our many City defeats. Yeah, I think... A lot of times when we've played them in the past, obviously we get beat every time, but a lot of time it's just attrition, attack, be defence. And I think there were moments in the game where we did 
show a bit of sort of you know a bit of attacking impetus like we wanted to try and score a goal. Um, the, the times that we've conceded the goals has killed us really. Um, conceding so early and then the mm. one just before our time. I think the second half was a bit of a non-event. But the period in between the first and second goals, I thought there were moments where we really did trap City in their final third. They they yeah. got a little bit rattled. We weren't letting them play out. Um, and it was good to watch. You know, it was interesting. It was very uh, unusual kind of team lineup and and uh, <laughs> yes, format <laughs> the company employed. It was interesting to see, and and that made it a bit more of an interesting watch as well. It wasn't just as I say, stick ten behind the ball and just try and keep the score down. There was a look, we were trying to do a little bit more than that. Obviously, it didn't work out in the end, but yeah, I think you're right. I think interesting is probably the the best word to describe it. Yeah. And picking up on one of the comments that Tom said then, George, you talked about um, it being enjoyable. Um, I think one of the things that struck most of us was that Vincent Company stuck to his principles and the DNA of that side. They didn't change the way that they played. They didn't um, go defensive. They didn't stick 11 men behind the ball and they, they didn't. They tried to play expansive football and they tried to get their pressing game going. And when the opportunity arose, they did try to press quite high as well. Um were you expecting that or were you presently surprised? Uh, no, yeah, I was expecting that completely. I think from the minute Vincent Company walked through the door, his principles were very clear and he was very clear in saying that those principles get stuck to no matter what. You know, there was times last season where one comes to mind where Josh Cullen, it was played to Josh Cullen at the edge of the box, he's given it away and the other team scored. After that, we played exactly the same. And it was interesting, there was a moment in the City game where we pretty much did exactly the same as that and it went out for a corner and we'd, we'd messed about with playing it out from the back and then it had gone wrong. But we saw then the next phase of play, we were still trying to do the exact same. So, no, we saw ourselves stick to our guns and it was really nice, like Tom said, to see us try and take the game to City. It wasn't a case of just defence versus attack. I thought it was a, a quite an even game in terms of the mentality of both, both teams. Both teams wanted to go and try and win it. Yeah. Who stood out for you particularly, George, in terms of performances? Oh, I think this one's pretty easy. It's the same answer that many will give after the game. The the striker who was playing up front for Burnley um, on Friday night, who I'm not sure I've ever seen before. Because <laughs> certainly, it's certainly not that person we signed from South Africa in January. Um, so this new striker was apparently called Lyle Foster. And he was, he was absolutely <laughs> tremendous. Literally unrecognisable <laughs> football I've ever seen play. And also in terms of the football, he was fantastic. So I'm sure we'll touch on him more later. But he was Yeah, let's do. Yeah, we, we have got him as one of our five talking points. So I'm sorry, I set you up for a fall there. Uh, as soon as I said it, I was like, why am I asking that question? We're going to come and talk about that in a minute. Um, so apart from our new um, imposter striker, uh, Tom, who else stood out for you in terms of a solid performance? Let's go to the back. Defensively, how did you think? Anybody stand out for you there? Um, I thought Bayer looked pretty comfortable. I thought he did a, a decent job overall on Haaland. I mean, I know Haaland scored twice, but um, I don't think that's that's down to like terrible defending or anything. The first one's a little bit soft. He gets there a bit quicker, but the, the second goal that he scored is just unbelievable. It's like, yeah, it's how has he put that in the top corner like that from there? Just crazy. So I think by and large, I think it was quite an interesting duel between Haaland and Bayer. I think he gave as good as he got. Um, Alder Keel as well. Uh always looks impressive whenever he plays and yeah, I thought both does. of them uh, they were asked by a company to sort of push up and, and uh, at times in the first half they were on the edge of Man City's area you know following their man and, and winning the ball really high and they both looked pretty comfortable with that Um, I wasn't quite as sold on O'Shea uh, the first time no. I've seen him obviously 
played for us and not. And I guess it could just be um, teething issues because I'm sure he's not been asked to play um, from the back as much when he's been at West Brom as he as he is now. And I don't think we would have signed him if he wasn't comfortable at doing that job or they didn't think that he could be comfortable at doing yeah. that job. But he did look to me a little bit less sure with the ball at his feet than the other two. And I think you saw that for the first goal as well. The corner, you know, he tries to take a touch and take it away from the uh, the attacker and he ends up just rolling it out for a corner that he didn't need to give away. And then from that, we're one no right. down. So that was a bit of a worry. It'd be interesting to see. I, I wouldn't have thought we we're going to line up with three centre-halves every week this yeah. season. I think that would be something for Man City or maybe for when we play the quote-unquote the bigger clubs. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how he did in a two or even if he were getting the team in a two. But he was perhaps a little bit of a question mark for me. But uh, I thought Bayer and Alderkeel, uh for saying it's, it's such a tough assignment as well. I thought they stepped up quite well. Yeah, I did too. And I'll tell you who else I was impressed with. And I had question marks over him. Connor Roberts. Um, he had a tough time in the back end of the last Premier League season. And I did wonder whether or not he was one of those Josh Brownhill kind of players where he's very, very good in the Championship. Just not quite there for the Premier League. I thought he had one of the like most competent performances I've seen him in the Premier League. Um, I thought he handled it very, very well. He still managed to get up when he wanted to as well. Um, he also his fitness seemed to be quite good as well. He seemed to be quite fast. He was tracking back quite a lot and match. I mean, listen, you can't. Some of these City players are ridiculous. You just can't get anywhere near them. But um, he seemed to be tracking back pretty quickly and got some speed on him. So I was impressed with him. Um, George, the centre-half pairing, Cullen and Berg, 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 whoever it's called, Berg, Sander Berg. Um, tough start for him. Um, perfectly understandable considering he'd been at the club about three minutes when he got put in there. Um, I thought until he started to blow a bit and looked a little bit tired, um, I think him and Josh Cullen in the centre are going to be an awesome pairing. Um, please tell me I'm not wrong. No, I tend to agree. I know there's been a bit of Christmas <laughs> after the game, but like you say... I mean, Unfounded, I think. Unnecessary. Or at least unfair. Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess people have high expectations. And once we've seen Cullen last season, and then you think, well, Burge has come in, you know, on a similar similar pedigree uh, kind of player. So people wanted to hit the ground running. I thought he was okay. I didn't think he was bad, but I didn't think he was exceptional. And like like you did say, it was it's such a tough game to come into and, and impress in centre midfield because... All you're doing is chasing shadows all game and trying to stick yeah. the in. So I thought he did well at times. You know, when he was on the ball, he looked more than confident. So, no, I think he'll turn into a really good signing. And to have them two as your two midfielders is just fantastic. For a club mm -hmm. who theoretically should just be battling, you know, against relegation, you know, just been promoted, it's a fantastic midfield. And it, it, it really frees, up that, frees up that place in front of them um, to sort of be interchangeable between the likes of Amdouni. Um, Goodmanson, Brownhill, you know. So I think it's a, a really good midfield and he'll only improve with these two week two weeks break between now and the Villa game. I mean, I do still think if if Cullen and, and Berg their Berge, their de relationship develops that much, I think there's gonna be a lot of games where Brownhill's appearance as a starter, particularly, is gonna be restricted. Well, I think you'll be starting week in, week out for West Ham, so I'm sure... Oh, we'll yeah, that's a good point, actually. What, what did we say in our group chat clearly? What's the minimum we can see? Anywhere near 20 million and we'll drive him there, like, bye-bye, love you, bye. <laughs> yeah, like, I, like I, I I, think there's been... I think It's typical of Twitter, like, people are either one way or the other, but, like, I really rate the guy. I think he's a good I player. I, I, I still think he, he'll cut it at the Premier League for us, I, I really do. I 
I do rate him. And West Ham aren't going to be signing someone who's only championship quality. Um, but like we did say, you know, one year left on his deal. Now, admittedly, they're going to try and renew it. But anywhere between 15 to 20 million. Yeah, I think that's a fair deal. We reinvest and, and move on because... Like like we mentioned in last week's podcast, we've not actually sold anyone for any money this summer, basically. So you look at how Wolves have got into a mess with financial fair play with with their tradings. We don't want to be, you know, no summer next summer where we can't spend any money because we need to sell and and you know balance the books. So yeah, it was interesting. Deal. Sorry, go on, George. Sorry. No, I'd just say a decent deal, fifteen to twenty million. I'd I'd take yeah. it. I wish him very well. I agree. It was interesting. I've been watching Mission to Burnley. I've finally got around to watching it. And I'm on episode two and it was interesting to hear company and Alan Pace discussing the um, the business side of the club and, 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 and company himself saying that every single year he wants to be in a position where they've got two or three assets that they can sell and then the next one's just ready to step in their shoes. So every, And I wonder whether you know, Sander Berg coming in is just the next one and Brownhill can go. I guess my only criticism with that and worry with that, Tom, is that I thought we brought Sander Berg in to strengthen a, a, a position that we needed reinforcements. If we then go and sell Brownhill, we've really only really got Cullen and Berg who can do that in the middle. I don't think Jack Hook, he can cover and he can do some substitute appearances, but I'd question where else our strength in depth coming in the centre. Is that fair? Yeah, I think it is. I think Cork has probably only got another season or two left in him. Uh, I think from what we've seen of Bastian, I'm not sure he's a Premier League player. I don't think company thinks so either. Um, so, yeah, I think yeah, I think you're right. I think we brought Bergen because we needed reinforcement in that area and we needed a bit more competition. And, you know, if you, I, I think at the minute it's all just paper talk, isn't it, with Brownell? And it, he's had that link for West Ham in the, in the past. And I, I don't really see him going unless we have got a replacement lined up. Um, I I don't really see that one to be honest. But if it did, if it did happen, say we got an injury to Colin or to Burge, then we'd be really light in that area. So uh, I'm hoping that, uh, that it is that it is just going to stop there. I'd, I'd prefer uh, I'd prefer to have him as, as certainly a squad depth. It was quite interesting. I think that he didn't start really, considering he's probably one of the first names on the team sheet last year. I don't know if that's and again it's hard to judge because we've only played one game and it was against Man City. It's kind of hard to judge how we're going to set up the rest of the season, but I did think it was quite interesting that uh, that he he wasn't a starter on uh, on Friday. Same. Okay, well, let's leave general analysis there and let's move on to our five talking points. First up, Zorori Red. First player for Burnley to be sent off in a home Premier League game. He's likely to get. We think we presume it's going to be a three-game match. Sorry, three-match ban. Um, he's going to miss the Villa and Spurs games in the league and Forest in the Cup. George, um, is it fair to say that it was A, a red, and B, that it wasn't malicious, but a striker doing a striker tackle? What was your judgment of the red card? For me, um, I'd have sent him to a tanning booth because it was a straight orange card for me. It was one between yellow and red. Um, you know, I, I, I sort of had... A perfect live position to see it because I'm on the front row of the the long side upper, and right in the right by the centre circle. So it was it was right in front of us, and from a live view, it was your typical right professional foul. Take one for the team. It's a yellow. Um, try to get the ball, but if you don't get there and you take his ankles, so what? You know they're on the break, so, and fourth minute by the time. You know what I mean? Like it it was a yellow. It was a pure yellow. And then when I saw it on VAR, 
yeah, okay, he's got the back of his leg, but you're never going to do any damage like we stood to the back of someone's leg. Like I, just, I really don't see. The, the, I, there's been a bit of hoo ha about it, but for me, it wasn't wasn't a definite straight red, and it was just indicative of the entire game for me. Was I was so fed up with VAR within minutes. It was oh really. Oh, Honestly, okay. I can't stand the thing. You know, with City's goal, waiting. Oh, we're checking for checking for handball, and then by, when they said that, they kicked off within a second because oh, it takes yeah. so long. To, you know, it was just I hate it. <laughs> We've had one game back, and I just can't stand it already. It just ruins the flow of the game completely. Oh dear! Well, that went that went a little bit west. Uh, Tom, rescue us. <laughs> poor Georgia sent us into the depths of despair. We've got onto it's first game of the season. We've got into VAR. I, I didn't even have any problem with VAR. So let's let's try and swerve away from that. Bring us back. What was your take? An orange card is that fair? I thought it was. Um, I, th- I think uh, uh, same as Georgia at the time. It didn't didn't seem a lot to it, but and I, I thought it was maybe a little bit harsh to to be upgrading that. Just considering where we are, it's, you know, it's the ninety fourth minute. The game's already over. Um, but I don't think we can really complain. You know, he's it's just such a poor tackle. I think, as you said, it's the forward tackle. You know, I don't think he's he's trying to do him, but he, he's just. I mean, you're never going to catch Carl Walker in a foot race anyway. So far behind him, it's just a, a really bad tackle. And and when you catch someone that high and you're out of control like he was, then you know you you're going to give the referee a decision to make. And I think as soon as he went to the screen, you know what's going to happen. So. Yeah, just just a learning curve for him, really. And it's kind of interesting, you know, we, we've been speaking in the summer about how we've brought in all these wingers and uh, do we really need that many? And, and it kind of showed at the end of the game now that we've got four wingers on the pitch, no strikers. You've got Zorori playing in a, you know, through the middle, which is not his normal position. And I wonder if that kind of contributed to, you know, not necessarily to that tackle, but the fact that he's playing out of position and he's, and he's doing an unfamiliar job you know, has that made a difference to where his positioning? Is that why he's kind Definitely. of not been on the catch walker? It, it was a really, by the end of the game, I couldn't, I had no idea what we were trying to do. It was a very strange setup. It just seemed like a case of, I've bought all these wingers, so I might, I'll try and use them. And yeah, I felt a bit sorry for Zorori on that basis as well. Yeah, I mean, I did see, oh, actually, before I come on to this point, um, I probably should, before I get an angry letter from the club, it wasn't my point about the strikers challenge. That was Vincent Company's point. I did steal it off him. So apologies, VK, I did blatantly steal your material and I've just been accused of passing it off on my own um it was it was interesting I did definitely saw this on Twitter and I'm so sorry to whoever's listening to this and I couldn't remember who it was who'd seen it I can't credit you directly please at me and shout at me somebody sent a tweet saying that towards the end of the game it did feel a little bit like we had square pegs and round holes there was no noticeable striker on the pitch about a million wingers and it's probably no surprise at that and, and actually no obvious system being played either so it was quite difficult I imagine that's quite unsettling for a defence because they don't really know who's protecting in front of them and then obviously the space is created and you've got a forward a winger trying to a striker trying to do a striker's challenge that's probably a good point um let us know what you think listeners um straight red one of georgie boys orange cards or grossly unfair you know how to get in touch with us drop us your comments on the video below and let us know what you thought Number two, George, I'm going to have to come to you with this because you've already talked about it. Talking point number two from the City game, who kidnapped Lyle Foster and who is this imposter who played on Friday night? Please expand on your points. What a performance by our man. He was phenomenal and well-deserved man of the match. 
Absolutely. I mean, we we say we say it in in jest, but he genuinely looked different. Like like I'm just saying, physically looks different. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> like he like he's like he looks so much healthier. He, he had Leaner, like fitter. He'd got he'd got got rid of his like forty year old's beard. Like he just looked a new man completely. And and when he was on the ball and and trying to make tackles and you know shoulder barging against the defenders, he was so strong, so quick. Like I was, I was honestly sat there and I was blown away. He was that good in terms of his actual play with the ball. He was running in behind. He did that dancing move on, down the left um, and then cut inside and almost scored at the cricket field end. It was just honestly, it was breathtaking. Really yeah. It really was. And you know what? Going into into that game, as we we will discuss further in a special episode, I'd watched the missions for Burnley Doc, and there was that interesting quote in there from from company saying. Well, you know, people are criticising the the twelve million that we've spent now, but he'll be the cheapest starting strike in the Premier League next season. That's not even like the the entry level to pay to buy sign right. a striker. And the fact that we're discussing the you know twenty million for Brownell, you know, the the market has shifted. Yeah, definitely. In recent years, so his point there made me think he's gonna get the nod ahead of you know a Jay Rodriguez um, on Friday night, and it's and it did turn out that that way, and you know within. 30 minutes you were already convinced it was the right call you, mm. you've seen the work he's putting in all, over the summer and I think it was the athletic report he'd been doing a lot of work one-on-one with Craig Bellamy both in terms of yeah. like his role as a striker but also um on his mental health as well uh because he, he talked about having homesickness and stuff so it sounds like Bellamy, Bellamy's been a real right-hand man for Foster and yeah didn't didn't it half show on Friday it was just superb yeah, definitely. As he won you over, Tom, and actually, did, did he get rid of the 40-year-old beard because he was feeling he'd seen Tom Whitaker's famously spectacular facial hair and realised he couldn't compete, so got rid of it? Is that what it was? <laughs> We've been talking about this in our group. We've been talking about this in our group chat today. We're all feeling very unfit. Well, I'm not, and neither is uh, Charlotte either. Um, but the rest of the boys are all very uh, feeling very under- underwhelmed, very pressured by Tom's facial hair. Um, has he won you over? And how did you like the link up with him? I'm doing it and uh, Collio Shaw. Am I pronouncing that right? Thank you, boys. The only thing that I'd say about Foster is, um, you, you, I think I agree with everything George said. You know, he looks a lot faster, sort of trimmer, stronger. He looks like the physical attributes are there, which they didn't look like they were in January. There's still a big question mark over is he going to get his goals this season? It's quite interesting. He was out on the wing and not playing through the middle against Man City. I'm guessing that was more for pace than anything else, or maybe yeah. because we were really playing with a, a central striker up top. So it'd be interesting to see if he is playing through the middle um, against Villa, for example. Um, but you know, I watched a couple of the friendlies, and and he again, it, it was a similar story there. You know, he he did look more on it, but he never really looked like he was going to score. So. That's that would just be my question mark, but we're not going to know the answer to that until he's had a few games playing in his preferred position. So, jury's still out on that one. But yeah, you can definitely see there's been a big, a big improvement, a big physical transformation this summer. Um, it was interesting actually the the front three that he chose. You know, I, I could see him having Benson on the bench because he's not played much in pre season, and he and he did that a lot last season. He even used him as an impact sub. But it was I thought it was really interesting that he went for Colliosho uh, over mm. Zorori. You know, he's yeah. already one of the players last season. Um, Collie Osho, I don't think, was even really starting many games for Espanyol last season. So it was quite a big call to put him in. But he did look good. Um, mm-hmm. He looked very raw. Um, but he was he was exciting. You know, he's very, again, he's very quick, very direct. 
Uh, he played well in the Mainz game that I went to as well. Um, so maybe that was part of the thinking. Um, and the same for Amdouni as well. He he looks a good player. He's got amazing feet. He's really quick feet. He showed some really nice flashes. But again, uh, maybe just taking a little bit of time to go up to the level, just lacking a little bit of end product. But Man City's not really the game to to judge players on in that regard. So, yeah, I, I, from the way they played, actually, uh, especially in that the last half an hour of the first half, I wouldn't be shocked if you decided to play that same front three again against Villa. Yeah, I agree. Um, a couple of points from that. Firstly, I've just realised that I forgot to upload your, upload your match day diary for the Mines game. Is that how you pronounce it? Um, apologies, I will. Listeners, just tune in. Doesn't matter if it's a week ago. It was fun. And George goes to cathedrals and drinks beer and and it's all very exciting. Um, secondly, I'm going to put something to you. I think that Vincent Company treated Friday night as a final preseason friendly. I think that explains him saying before the game that this will be the worst you will see us play all season um, with the worst team, however you put it. Um, the team selection, the formation changes, the substitutes that he brought on and some of those player choices, I think he knew absolutely no, that there was unlikely to win that game. So he, with the Luton game being postponed the week after, he was going to treat that as another um, preseason friendly. It gives Trafford big game experience in front of the Sky cameras, gets him bedded in. Um, he said it because I was very surprised. We'll come on to that next. Um, why he got the nod over Murich. I think that was. I think he treated that as a preseason friendly. I'm convinced of it. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Um, okay. Talking point number three. Left back problems. At the moment, we are in a position where it's either Bettino or Charlie Taylor, neither of whom we think are strong enough to do it particularly a whole season at this level. Um, George, it was Vitinho who got the nod at the weekend. Um, I think he did all right in patches, but for me was definitely one of the weaker links in the side. Um, we don't know yet whether we're going to get Matson. Matson came on for the last minute again, last 10 minutes um, in the Liverpool game last night for Chelsea, which is worrying from our perspective. Um, what do you think our plans are for a left-back? Will it be Matson? If not, surely there is another one coming through the door. You'd like to think so, wouldn't you? You really would, because, I mean, as you just alluded to, Charlie Taylor, for me, it, it was it's pretty indicative, the fact that he didn't start against Man City and we played a right-back at left-back. Like, Charlie Taylor is not in company's plans to to be a starter this season. No. And I can understand why, because for me, um, Taylor is a man who, say he went to Everton tomorrow, he'd be, he could be there starting full-back for the entire season. because George and Everton, honest to God. But it, it's, it's an easy one, isn't it? Because, you know, he plays exactly like a, a dice, dice left-back would want to play, bombing up the wing, 
you know, he'd end up walking off the, the field with, with just white white paint on his boots. Now in company system, it just it just doesn't work. So we do need somebody. I will just preface that with saying I think Bettino played well on Friday night and I actually rate him. I, the only reason I wouldn't want him okay. to start as there is because, you know, it's a right-footed player at left-back. But for me, I quite like Bettino. And he, you can tell company really likes him as well just by how much he does play him. I think it's a bit like okay. back in the day, you know, we had criticism from Burnley fans of our field, you know, being played in centre-mid and stuff. But he was clearly rated by Dyche because of his versatility. You know, you have to say him with James Milner, and and now with Vitinho, not to compare Vitinho to James Milner too much. That's an odd one, isn't it? You didn't think you'd hear that. So yeah, I'm a big fan of Vitinho, but we do we we do we do need a left back. I'm afraid. Agreed. Um, it's not, not it's not going to be Ian Matson. Let's be honest, because no. Pochettino was the kind of man who Matson would you know be at the top of his agenda. A young player, someone who could have incredible sell on value later down the line. Yeah, he's going to get the minutes at Chelsea. Yeah, I completely agree. Okay, I don't think there's much more to say on left back, so let's move on to talking point number four. Our keepers. Tom, back over to you. If we take aside my conspiracy theory of the week of Vincent Company treating Manchester City at home as a pre-season friendly for all the banter that you want, um, were you surprised that Trafford got the nod over Murich? Um, and secondly, how did you rate his performance? Uh, just, I wasn't surprised in the slightest, to be honest. Um okay. I know the majority of fans would have played Murich, but for me, uh, the money that was spent on Trafford, we're only going to spend that money if he's, we're bringing him in as number one. We're not going to spend 15 rising to 90 million on a reserve goal. It's just not going to happen. From everything that I've seen f- from Trafford, he's very ambitious. He's very self-confident. I don't think he would have come here if he hadn't got assurances that he was going to be number one. And I think as well, uh, I get the impression that company is perhaps not 100% convinced with Murich. I think he came in last season because we couldn't get that Verbruggen. I think that was his first choice. Oh, of and course. The... I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. And so the fact that we've gone in again for goalies at the start of this summer, you know, we tried to get Verbruggen again, didn't we? And he went to Brian. I think that tells you that company's not 100% sold on him. There was that game last season against Watford as well, where he got subbed at half-time and it was like, oh, he, he was injured and or ill or whatever and I wasn't convinced then and I'm still not convinced now. I just think he's not... He, he's a little bit shaky, Murich. Uh, and I thought Trafford did... <laughs> a little bit shaky. <laughs> a little bit shaky, yeah, you know. You know. Not that I we, don't know, like, <laughs> we all enjoyed it last season and, and I think people got used to him... You know, he's the way he is. He's very kind of laid back. This, uh, you know, he, he puts the fear of God into you at times, doesn't he? But I think, uh, I think we saw from Trafford that he can play that style as well. And I thought he was good with his feet, he's picking passes out. Um, he's not really got a chance for any of the goals. Um, and I, funnily enough, I don't think he had a great amount to do other than the goals. I no. don't recall him making loads of saves or anything like that. Um, I think we saw that he's going to slot in fine. I think he's his company's kind of keeper um, it's too early for me to say whether I think he's an upgrade or not on Murich but I'm pretty sure that company views him as that and and that's why I wasn't surprised that he started Yeah I think I was just thinking that it, you're very much used to the well established management style that it's a player's shirt to lose and we saw it for 10 years under Dash, with the odd exception about players who just he had his favourites and wouldn't drop but I think most people expected company to give Murich the opportunity to at least prove himself and maybe the extra competition would do. Um, I think if I'm being super critical, I wasn't as convinced with 
Trafford's passing game as Murich. I think when Murich is playing, um, the ball flowed more, particularly the relationship between Murich and Bayer. I thought those two passing between them were excellent. Um, we missed a little bit of that. But that's not to say that Trafford won't get that ability and he won't develop those relationships with his two centre-halves. I think, for me, company might have to get a very settled, established centre-half pairing. Um, that triangle spine, the, the base of defence is really important if you're going to start playing out the back. So I think he's probably going to have to settle on Bayer plus whoever plays alongside him pretty quickly for that relationship to develop. But, um, yeah, it's an interesting one. We'll see how we go. Um other than that, I, I don't, I think, actually, I think there was, if I remember rightly, there was a, a save quite early on in the first half where Trafford had to dive down to his right-hand side quite low. And we all said at the time that that would do his confidence a lot of good. But you're right, other yeah. than that. Yeah, and I think that it was offside, wasn't it, in the end, that one? That, yeah. Like you say, it was, uh, if, if it had been onside, it would have been a brilliant save, yeah. But either think... way, just to have that ability, I think was good. Yeah, for sure. Just one point to say, you said about his passing didn't convince you quite as much as Murich. I think you're comparing apples and oranges because you think the teams we were playing last season, Murich, you know, yeah, the, think of that yeah. game against Preston where he's allowed to play in midfield because there's just no pressure on the ball with, with, and then go to that to play in the best yeah, team in the right. world. And Can there be any games last season where we had 30% possession? I don't think there would have been. So no. perhaps we'll see um, a bit more of Trafford's range when we get a home game against yeah. the team where we do managed to control possession. Maybe the second half of Sheffield United away. But other than that, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> excellent. Okay, final talking point from the game. And it's one, I'm sorry to, to end on a slightly disappointing note, but it's a really important one that we have to talk about. And that is fan trouble. George, you sit as chairman of the Clarets Trust. This has got to be something that's got to be particularly um, close to your heart. Three incidents. First and foremost, before a ball was even kicked off, we were back to having... Um, a good number of fans. I don't think it is a minority. I don't think that's fair to say. Uh, good fans booing. Players taking the knee in a declaration of um, anti-racism and support for people who suffer from racism. And um, That was booed by a selection of the fans. Uh, we then had uh, a lighter thrown at Rico Lewis um, halfway through the first half, I think. Um, picked up by the Sky cameras and we are expecting probably a club fine for that. And... Um, a pitching or an attempted pitch invasion, which I have to say was dealt with remarkably quickly by the stewards and the police down in front of the cricket field stand. Um, I don't know how they, he didn't get very far, but that was done. Um, these incidents, George, for all of the progress that we're making off the pitch with our PR and rebranding and wanting to be seen as a good community wholesome club that is relevant for 2023, these incidents continue to mark, put a mark on our reputation. Yeah, you did. You just jogged my memory then uh, when you mentioned uh, obviously my involvement. No, we've lost you a bit here, George. Ah, uh, we've lost George. Is he back? Yeah, I thought you might have done. Am I back now? You're back now. Carry on. We're not going to edit that out because that was funny. Carry on. <laughs> you might have to start that again though. Our listeners are like, say what? What are you on about? What are you on about? Carry on. I just, I just delivered the most thrilling monologue as well, and and, well, and you've, you've got it. an opportunity to improve it. Start again, my friend. <laughs> so you, you did, you did just jog my mind then when you mentioned my involvement in the Clarets Trust. Um, so our first meeting with Alan Pearce, and this was a few months after I believe the 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 White Lives Matter Burnley 
um flag that flew over Manchester City because you know us booing the 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 knee or sorry our some of our fans booing the knee isn't anything new you know we we know about them views in the fan base which have been around for for a long time now and one of our first meetings with Pace we asked him how you know what is the club's um. Sorry, I don't want to say agenda. What's their plan to 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 combat? Yeah, that's fair. To combat these views and and the expressions of of these views at, at games, and and do you know what he brought up as well, which I thought was really sad at the time, and I think it's okay to share it publicly now because the players left the club, and it's important that fans are made aware of what an imp- what impact the this kind of thing has on players when they went in to sign to try and sign Maxwell Corner. He didn't want to come to Burnley, not because oh it's Sean Dyche or his football, or because you know we're not that big a team. It was because of things like the white, you know, White Lives Matter Burnley, the no. understanding of having a a fan base that you know m- might be might be called racist by some, and having that 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 outlook, and you know, because we were tarred with that brush, and you know, rightfully we've had the race riots, you know, in the early two thousands, which put Peter Crouch off coming to join. He really had to convince Corny really hard to, to come to the club because of it. And we've seen after that, you know, Corny come in and him having a nice experience at Burnley has done the club a world of, of good. And since then, we've seen a flood of foreign talent coming to the club and, and playing well. And obviously with Vincent Company, who speaks six languages, by the way, it's really helped with the acquisition of foreign talent. So for, for incidents like this to be brought up again and, when we were completely in the limelight on Friday night, it was an amazing, amazing opportunity oh. to this, this image as this new Burnley Football Club to the world. Like Tom tweeted, I just, just thought it was devastating to then go on Sky Sports after the game and for my first look at Vincent Company's interview, for him to have to be answering questions about booing the knee, uh, it's, just, it's just disgusting and it's really disappointing and it might well set us back because... Yeah, it's really not a good look at all. No. Tom, how do we recover from this? How do we... Because I've seen major brands, major Twitter profiles of major brands tweeting out there saying like, oh, look, you know, racist booing, light has been thrown, pitch evasions. It's like Burnley were never away. And it's just like, no, how do we... How do we... I don't I don't even think it's a case of convincing people it's a minority because unfortunately it's more than a minority. I don't think that's... I don't, I don't think we can hide behind that excuse anymore. But how do we educate this section of fans that their views are outdated, they're unwelcome, and they are just completely inappropriate for society in 2023 when we want to be fair and balanced? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a question that goes beyond, obviously, Burnley Football Club or, you know, or Burnley as a town. It's, it's a society as a whole, isn't it? And you've without wanting to get too much into the politics or anything like that you know there's uh there's people who are at the very top of you know the, the corridors of power in this country that hold similar kind of views or that uh that have created a sort of culture in which it's almost acceptable to express these kind of views um so it's not something that I don't think what by you know it's something that the club can run an education campaign around that will suddenly stamp it out the sort of probably the best that you can do at this juncture is is to say, I mean, things like what George said there about Maxwell Corner is just is an example. You know, if you're a person who has these kind of views, and 
and uh, you know as George said I tweeted about it on on Saturday and I got a lot of people coming back to me and saying well we're not booing we're not booing because we are racist we're booing well no one actually admitted to booing surprisingly but we people are are against the you know the Black Lives Matter the political movement people don't want politics in football Look, if that's your opinion, it's wrong-headed because it's been explained on I don't know how many occasions by the players, by the stakeholders, by the league, that this isn't some sort of political Marxist gesture that the players are doing. It's very simply, and it's and it's a historic anti-racism message that's gone back decades and is not inherently linked to Black Lives Matter. I think some people hide behind that because they want an excuse to be able to boo, quite frankly. But if you're a person who, despite all the evidence to the contrary, thinks that, you know, you you need to boo this because it's it's somehow expressing support for Marxism or or rubbish like that. If you think that, just shut up. Just shut just just shut up. Honestly, because because the only the only message that you give to to the watching world, to anyone in the ground, to the black players in the in the team, to our black manager, the message that you're not that you're giving is not. Oh well, I, I agree with with your message, but I I disagree with you know left wing politics in America or whatever. The message that you're giving is you're doing an anti racist gesture, and I'm against it. And the the message is a racist one. That's what it is. That's that's the impression that you give to the watching world. That's the impression that you give to millions who are watching Friday night, the opening of a new Premier League season. What you're doing by doing is saying I'm a racist, and Burnley is a racist football club. Burnley is a racist town. So, you know, it, it, I mean, like I say, you can educate and you can educate, but some people just don't want to be educated. Some people aren't interested. And if if you if you refuse to kind of come to terms with that, if you if you just don't think that, you know, if you if you can't possibly find it in your heart to support an anti-racist message, just do the bare minimum. Do the bare minimum for your club, for your town, for your manager, for your team. And just shut up. Just shut up for three seconds at the start of a football match. Tom, I was literally about to apologise to you for throwing you an absolute horror of a question as soon as I asked it. But that was sublime. Thank you so much. I can't tell you how much that means. So let's give Tom a little break from that, George. um, And let's just finish off. Um, After everything we've said and after what we've seen so far, a very quick question to end the podcast. Are we going to be okay this season? Oh, yeah. Do you even have to ask that? More than okay. I mean, I came off the game against City, you know, feeling so joyous um, in terms of the the football on the pitch, in terms of how we coped, how we, we took the game to Man City. You know, obviously the game was blighted as we touched on and rightfully so. And yeah, I must say Tom's comments were absolutely bang on then. Um, I couldn't <sighs> put it better myself. And like Tom did say, you know, it's it's the image it leaves of the club. I, f- I felt so bad for Luca Corleosho uh, in particular, 18-year-old making his debut. But I'd like to give him a great shout out and say what a performance from him. So the likes of Corleosho, um going forward this season, he's 18 and Amdouni as well. So all the new signings for me impressed. And I, I, I thought Bayer, Audekiel, well, these guys at centre-back, Cullen, Bergen, centre-mid. Yeah, I think we'll be more than OK. And I really do stick by my claims that I said maybe somewhat silly on Sky that we we could push for top 10. Because, <laughs> because I, you know what? We've got a good squad and we've got an ambitious manager. So it's going to be a really competitive league this year. And we've seen that with the games at the weekend, but there's no reason that we shouldn't be looking up the table. 
finishes off then, see us out of the podcast. Tom, are you feeling as confident as me and George? Do you think we're going to be all right this season? And do you think we'll be just surviving or do you think we will do George's break into the top 10? <laughs> I'm sorry, George. No. Yeah, I don't... Before the game, I thought I was pretty confident we were going to stay up. It's not really changed my opinion one way or the other. I, I'm not as big on the performances a lot of people have been I thought especially second half we were quite flat and disappointing but I won't judge it really because we're playing the best team in the world and with a, a team that we've only put together in a few weeks so uh, I don't feel any more any more confident that we're going to stay up based on that performance but I don't feel any less confident either I think there's definitely going to be three worse teams than us this season and as long as there is three I don't care whether we're 10th or 17th as long as we stay up that's that's fine by me. Yeah, I agree. I don't care whether we stay up. And you know what? We lost a game we were expected to lose. And if you look at our relegation rivals, Sheffield United, Luton, Wolves, Everton, with maybe the exception of of Luton, who had Brighton, they all lost against sides that they should be expecting to pick points up. We didn't win against our free hits, so we're in pole position we are it's advantage Burnley after the opening game of the season so long may that continue that is all we've got time for listeners um thank you for joining us this evening if you're watching this on youtube do please subscribe to the channel below and turn on notifications so you do not miss an episode and spread the word who doesn't want to talk and listen to Burnley Football Club um if you're listening to this for the first time on podcast you can hit that subscribe button and join us through your usual podcast provider I've been Natalie Bromley this has been the Non and Ever podcast until next time. The Known and Ever podcast is brought to you in association with the TalkSport Fan Network. Our host and editor is Natalie Bromley and the show is produced by Matt Moss. Our resident statistician is Dave Roberts and our FPL expert is Adam Dennett. The analysis show team is collectively Tom Whitaker, Rich Steele, George Poole, Charlotte Rigby and Adam Dennett. Our music is provided by George Gaskell and our newsletter team is headed up by Jamie Smith. If you don't already, you can subscribe to our newsletter by visiting nonenever.substack.com. Thanks as ever go to our partners, TalkSport. We are proud to be associated with the TalkSport Fan Network. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.